Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership. I'm Keith Pankow, the host of this podcast, and I have the wonderful privilege to be with an old shipmate who I started my career in the Navy with and have kept in touch with over the years and just grateful to have Robert Duran with me today. Robert is a native of Tucson, Arizona, and he's lived in Tucson until he was 17 years until he decided to run off and join the Navy, similar to me, and that's where I met him. And in the Navy, he was an electronics technician. He worked in, on navigational radars and was first stationed to the USS John C. Stennis. And then from there, he went on to go to the White House Communications Agency, where he supported the president, the vice president, the first lady, the second lady, and the U.S. Secret Service in communication. After seven years in the Navy, he moved on with his life and moved back to Tucson and worked for a little while as a fire sprinkler inspector and then continued on to follow I believe his father's footsteps and went on to Raytheon Missile Systems and worked there for many years and has just recently moved on to a new company, Erite Associates, where he's a configuration manager. And this is a brand new move for him, so I'm excited to see where it takes him. Welcome, Robert. Glad to have you today. Hey, Keith. No, you know, first things first, that was a great introduction. I appreciate how you outlined it. And secondly, thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate you reaching out and asking me to join you in the podcast. And I really appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, so happy to have you. So we met when we were at Electronics Technician, actually before Electronics Technician A School, we had to go to a, through an, a basic electronics course before we could even go on to electronics school. We're also the fire controlman before we make the decision between electronics technician or fire controlman. And we learn advanced electronics. And so we were roommates. There was four of us in a room. And for most of the time, three of us were together for a good four or five months, I believe, for the duration. And we had that fourth person, I think we had three or four people that kind of made that fourth person up in that time frame. But the, there was Robert Wilkinson, Robert Duran, and then me were there for together for a solid time. I guess we just kept weeding people out or something. They couldn't hack it and kept getting this extra poor roommate. I don't remember why. Maybe Robert does, but I remember just being really grateful to have the two Roberts there as my roommates. They were good motivators, good friends, and good examples to me. They were about two weeks ahead of me, if I remember correctly, in their boot camp graduation in their school program. And we all ended up going on to be electronics technician. None of us chose fire controlman, interestingly enough. Just super excited. Glad we could reconnect and talk about some of those stories. And even Robert joked on here before we started hitting record, he said, what stories are off limits, Keith? And I said, oh, well, you know, <laughs> so I go, nothing's off limits. If you feel like you need to bring it up, go ahead and bring it up because Robert had shared that sometimes... He thinks maybe he might not make the right decision, but he hopes people can even learn from his mistakes and not just his successes. And so I said, you said it, Robert. He said, hopefully they can learn from my mistakes too. So I just love that thought process, Robert. So tell me a little bit about kind of that. Like, how do you learn from the people around you and their successes and their failures to produce a better outcome? That's a, a very good question. I think it goes back to... Me and my dad played a lot of chess. And I think this is where I, I picked up that core value. And to this day, it's very difficult to win my dad. But what I drew out of playing him is every time you lose, think about how to improve, you know, and that's what he taught me. And going forward in life, you know, I, I tend to look at every situation, whether it's good or bad, and play it out in my mind and learn from it as best I can. And in some cases, if it does not make sense to me, I got a group of mentors where I can go and, and run that situation with them and get their thoughts and learn from mentors as well. That way I have different perspectives because 
what I've learned over time is, you know, that my perspective is not always right or I'm tunnel vision and not seeing it from a different light. So part of my over the time learning is having a good set of go-to individuals that will help me see it from a different perspective. And so not only learning from the situation and kind of playing it out in my mind, but getting others' perspectives to get the most and learn the most. And that, so if I encounter that again, I may approach it differently or I may not. It, you know, it all depends. And I, yeah, I'm not sure if that, that hit on, on, on the question you asked, but Keith, I, I did want to kind of touch also on, on the time frame where we met and we were in that room. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or if I even told you the story, you know, as to why I joined the, the Navy, because I, I did not want to go to college. And uh, so I joined the Navy at 17 because I didn't want to lose any time. And funny thing is, you know, going as an electronic technician, they send us to school for the first year, you know, we're there, right? And it's, it's almost comical, but the thing that helped motivate me was, of course, if you fail, I don't know if you remember this, they, they told us, if you don't get an 80% on your test, you're going to go be a seaman. And, and you know as well as I do, a seaman, pretty much, they, they do all the jobs pretty much nobody wants to do. At least that was my understanding. I could be wrong on that, but that was my understanding. But that was all the motivation I needed to pick up the books, read, and learn. But to your point, you and Robert were there for me and help me in my time of needs when, when I didn't understand the, what we're talking about. And, and for that, thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much. I didn't know that. I didn't know you joined the Navy to not go to college. <laughs> I, I knew you talked a lot about your dad. And so I was, I was glad, excited to see you reference your dad in your answer because right. I knew your dad was a, a major inspiration in your life. And, and then when I came to visit you just a few years ago in Tucson, and when you took us to that amazing Mexican restaurant down in Tucson, oh, yeah. <laughs> it, there was a, you know, a family friend of yours owned the restaurant. And, mm-hmm. you know, you talked more about your dad then and the connection there. And I just, I saw how much not just you respected your dad, but even that community there in Tucson, some of those business owners and the people that respected your dad and the the contributions your family's made to that community over time. I, I picked up on that. And so I was excited to hear you talk a little bit more about your dad, because that was a fond memory I have from our time being roommates is how you had such a great example. And I almost feel like as a surrogate, I got a little bit of that example myself. So you'll have to thank your dad for me, for some of his his lessons passing through you to me. I think the three of us really helped each other a lot. It was a great team and a great opportunity for us to to really see that all three of us came from very different backgrounds. And we really helped each other recognize early on the benefit of diversity and using those backgrounds as a gift to help each other in our blind spots and also see the world a little differently. I didn't didn't really make the connection until you were talking about it, but I appreciate you and Robert as well in that situation. Yeah, no, countless times. I remember we sat down. I didn't understand, you know, certain sections of the the, book we sat down and either you or or Robert would explain it to me where it made sense to me. And and because of that, I was able to pass the test with with a high mark. So I can't thank both of you enough. And uh, yeah, appreciate that. I think that you failed to also recognize how much better I made you a basketball, but you know, that's ah. might be a conversation for another day. <laughs> if you bring up a valid point, <laughs> we did play a lot of basketball during that time. I we did. We did. That was our major stress relief. You know, Robert was always kind of helping me out. Even when I made some life choices and made a, some transition in my life, sailors that like to go to the bars a lot. I decided I wasn't going to hang out with them as much. And I hanged out with a different group. Robert would always come to me to different activities, always welcome to 
always willing and, and excited to learn and support people around them, regardless of their choices. And I really appreciated that. Now, you know, kind of going back to this influence of your father, I know that you are a father as well. You have three kids and one of your sons getting ready to go off to college. Now, I know you're really excited. We've been texting about it. And I think about your decision since you brought it up of joining the Navy, not to go to school. And now you have a bachelor's degree and an MBA. So what changed in you that made school so important to you? And, and then how do you think that your influence of your dad has factored into helping you get your son ready for college? So, you know, not going to college during that time frame was one of the deciding factors as to why I joined the Navy. Of course, I it was something I, I've always wanted to do. My, my grandfather was in the United States Navy. My dad was in the Marine Corps. But yeah, that was one of the major pushes because I I didn't want to go to college. So to, to answer your question as far as, you know, I, I ended up getting my bachelor's and I ended up getting my MBA. It is because during that time frame, that year going through tech school, tech school and, and learning electronics, I, I picked up really good <clears throat> study habits. Like I had a, a formula, picked up the formula to understand the material. And, and because of that, it allowed me to go to college and do very well. And uh, folks like yourself, I, you know, I was able to reach out when I didn't understand and, and they helped me throughout my career. So, you know, like for example, when I started my, my bachelor, I had a, a I can't thank this individual enough. John Sue, he was another major mentor of mine uh, during my tenure of time within the United States Navy. I wasn't the best at, at grammar, and he sat down and helped me understand it. And that helped me, in addition to the discipline I learned in the tech core, helped me navigate successfully through college. Nice. Did your son struggle with wanting to go to college or is he different than you and he always wanted to go to college? And how did you mentor him in those decisions? He's a self-starter. You know, like I said, I, I, I thank God and I'll say God. And I think, you know, every day that my kids are from an educational standpoint. And I think my wife, because my wife's a teacher, she, she motivates them. So always on top of them. But my oldest has always been self-starter, understands the, the data right away, completes all his work, gets really high scores in tests, and, and that's this is something he's always wanted to do is go to college. And I think through our conversations with him and, and emphasizing the importance of learning, you know, because one, one of the key things that we, we try to teach our kids is because a lot of times, like, for example, when I was going through school, I didn't like it. I was very frustrated. Nobody sat there and told me, hey, look, you're going to school to benefit you so you can learn, get educated, and then you can go off and do something good in the world, right? Now, if I would have had that end goal, it, it, it would have made more sense and I would have put a lot more energy into it. So that's one of the things our kids is, you know, it doesn't matter if you're in school or not, you should always continue to learn. You should learn to love learning. Does that make sense? So if you love learning, it just comes natural. And, and not only that, you learn not just to benefit yourself, but to benefit the community as a whole. Yeah, that's a wonderful and powerful answer. And I love a couple of things about that answer that I want to break down a little bit. First, I love the fact that you recognize that there was differences between even your father and his style and what you learned and how you could be true to the example your father set in your life but also be true to yourself, but then also how you took that learning and you recognized how different your son was from you, but you helped him while also letting him be true to his own path. And I think there's some power in that example. And I wanted to point it out and it was a little hidden between your messaging, but I know you, and I know that's part of who you are. And so I wanted to 
bring it out to the forefront for all of our listeners because it's such a wonderful example that Robert brings to his life and to those around him. And the other thing that I just love that you said there is you used an opportunity of why you didn't like school to help make it a more pleasurable experience for those you know that you influenced. And I think your son was the target of that conversation, but I imagine you've done it for other people as well. I know you've done it for me. Just when we were roommates, you bring that fun nature to things. You have this way of just making things enjoyable. Just you're fun to be around. You're a happy-go-lucky person. I know you're serious and you're, you can be business-oriented, but you just are a person that invites people to have a good time and enjoy the situation. And I've always loved that about you and I've been blessed by it. And so I think about my own school experience and how I hated school, just like you. I, I joined the Navy. It's funny. We've never had this conversation until just now, but I joined the Navy because I was paying my own way through college and I was working full time. And my grandparents would give me these loans that I'd have to pay back before the next semester. And so that was how I paid my tuition. And my grandparents were very invested in my education and I didn't want to let them down, but I didn't want to do this anymore. I was killing myself and my grandfather had served in the Coast Guard. And so I was like, well, if I join the Navy, grandparents will be proud and I don't have to do this anymore. And so just like you, I was trying to find a way to avoid school. And here I am, similar to you, a bachelor's degree, two master's degrees, working on a doctorate now. And like you, I've learned to love learning. And it was really one person made a recommendation to me, said the military is going to offer you a ton of opportunities to learn. Now you don't always have to take those opportunities. And a lot of people are going to complain about those opportunities. He says, if you try to take advantage of all those opportunities, it'll change your life. And that's what I've done. And I know that's what you've done as well. And so I really appreciate how you first recognize how different people are, and then you tailor the situation, but then you also use your bad experiences to create an even more enjoyable scenario for those around you. Does it come easy to you to do that, to make life more enjoyable, or is it something you have to work at? And if so, what do you do to kind of focus on making people have a better experience? Keith, I think it depends on the audience. And, and what I mean by that, for example, my friends and family have come together. We know each other. We know each other's forks, if you will. And I know how to make a good time better because I know them, right? And, and that's the key, key thing is, is building relationships first so you can make the environment better. And uh, that, that's, that's one of the things, you know, with my teams that, that I try to do is get to know them, listen to them, try to understand their needs and, and build those relationships that, you know, you don't have to get too personal, right? And I do throw some jokes here and there kind of like, but once, once you build that relationship, it just comes a lot easier because I, I'll tell you, I can, I can be a lot for individuals that don't know me. So I have to be sensitive to that from the get-go. So until I build that relationship and they have and we have a better feel for each other or a group of folks, then it becomes easier for them. Uh, and, and I could also always make it a, a better experience, even in, in, in high pressure situations. And that's why it's extremely important to build those relationships and, and get everybody on the same page. Yeah, I love that differentiation you made and tying it back to even when you don't know somebody, getting to know them will help make that situation even better. And I think there's some power there. And I've watched you over time. And sometimes to me, it seems like it comes naturally to you. So I'm curious, you know, have you watched yourself get better at getting to know people quicker? So, you know, tailing yourself and, and your approach to people, 
you know, takes some effort, no matter how good you are at being impressionable and, and working with people, it takes some effort to find that right fit. And I wonder over time, have you found that you've gotten better at it or has it been a challenge for you continue to continue to get better? No, I, I think it's a skill. Of course, it, it, it's a skill you can improve on. And I think to your point, um, I naturally um, had that skill throughout my life. I, I think that, you know, as a kid, if I was playing football or basketball, I can round up a bunch of kids and get a game going. I've always had that ability. And I think that skill is difficult to some. Um, not, not everyone is willing to round up individuals and, and get a game going. But it does become stronger over time. And, uh, and I'll give an example as to uh, what I mean by that. So before, you know, you know, when I would go into a new environment, I'd be very quiet and listen and see every, and learn everybody's behaviors, the way they talk, how they communicate. And all that plays into the next step of, okay, well, now I can kind of start talking to folks, you know, bring that level to you, say, hey, you know, kind of fit in. And I think that goes a long way. And, and I think that ties into one of the, the, the key fundamentals of being leadership. And I didn't know it at the time, but is actually listening and learning from your environment and those around you and, and reading people's body language. It goes a long way because um, in a conversation, just seeing people's body language, you can say something a certain way that makes, you know, they're either really happy or they can take it in a negative light and pick up on those small details. And you can kind of steer away from that and still make it a very pleasant environment for everybody in the room. And, and that's kind of what I learned, what I was doing. I didn't know I was doing that at that time. But now looking back at it and, and reading books like Emotional Intelligence, that's what I was doing. And, and yes, I had shortened the time as far as, you know, getting there faster. And it's just spending the time with people, putting in the work and the effort to get to know people. Yeah, I kind of set you up for that question because I know that it does come naturally to you a little bit, but I knew that just knowing you're the type of person that's going to continue to work at it. And so I love your answer for a lot of reasons. One, because you showed that even when something comes naturally to you, you work at it. You try to refine it. You try to get a little bit better. But the second thing is this, is that even for people that things don't come naturally for, there's the same path to work on things. It just might take a little bit extra effort. And so I, I'm glad that you brought that conversation up. And I also wanted to point out to the, to the listeners out there that, you know, we all have people all around us. And sometimes we look at people like, oh, this comes so naturally to them. And I invite you to kind of ask them about that. Why, you know, what do you do? What's your process? When you see someone that looks like they're natural at something, maybe it is natural. Maybe they've just spent a lot of time working at it. We don't really know until we have a conversation with them. But even if it comes naturally to them, there's things that they do that you can learn from. And so, you know, as you have these thoughts of these people that just look like they're either a really good presenter or a really good communicator, you know, they really know how to pull opinions out of people by asking questions. You know, as you see these people that you just, you're like, wow, that was impressive. Take the time to ask them about it, you know, refine your game a little bit. And it's a little early in this episode, but that's my invitation this week. Pay attention to the people around you. When you notice someone do something that you, just really resonates with you, ask them about it, learn about it, find out how you can implement different strategies in your own practices and leadership to invite those same things and get better at things. While you're thinking about the, the next question or the next step of the, the discussion we're having, which is a great discussion, I just want to add on to exactly what you said, because earlier in our conversation, I, I mentioned I had mentors 
And exactly what you talked about right now is how I pick my mentors. If there was an individual that had command of the room, everybody was listening to him, if he or she was able to get it out of everybody aligned on a huge goal and get it completed. And, and just the way they communicated, the way they treated everybody, they got everybody, you know, on the same page and did it in a fun way. That's how I picked my mentors. And and in the same way, uh, I had a lot of mentees as well that I, you know, that would come to me and I would say, hey, this is this is my road. It doesn't have to be your road, but you can learn from my road and take tidbits of it to, to improve yourself. And a uh, very powerful message you just brought up right now. Great. That was great. Thanks for that add-on too, Robert. And then another thought I had, as you were sharing about your mentors, is how powerful it is to create an environment that's fun. People like to have fun. Not everything has to be dark and dreary and feel like hard work. Even hard work can be fun. Even when it's you're down, you're, you're sweating, you're getting after something, or you're, you're really racking your mental faculties, trying to think about something and it's just not coming to you. There's times where bringing a fun environment can loosen up the creativity, can loosen up the conversation and allow you to break through some of these barriers and these walls. And I think Robert hit the nail on the head when he said, getting to know people is really the key to creating a fun atmosphere because if you don't know who people are, you don't know what they think are is fun. And if that's the case, then you could be thinking you're creating a fun environment, but it might be completely miserable for somebody. So what do you do to create a fun atmosphere in your life and in your teams, Robert? So I'm going to go back to uh, the, the time that became lead over eight individuals. When I, when I took over this team, it, it was a very interesting environment. And, and I say that because every individual had their own piece of the pie. And what I mean by that is they had their tasking and that's all they did. They didn't know what anybody else was doing. So the first thing I did is I talked to them one-on-one, understand where they're at and where they want to be. And I got all that data, got to know the team. Second thing I did was I broke all those walls down. I said, everybody's going to learn each other's tasking. And and I explained because I don't, I don't like changing things without explaining. I say, if you want to go on PTO, and, and there's no one there that understands what you're doing. You're, you're, you're hurting the team as a whole. So I ask who wants to learn what, and I let them make the decision because it's important to empower your team to make decisions because the moment they make, I want to do this, I want to do that, they, they become involved in the process. They take ownership of the process, right? So they start learning from each other and they start getting to know each other because nobody knew anybody on that team. And I got to know everybody and the third thing I did was I got everybody's birthdays. You know, I didn't want to know the year. Just give me your month and, and, your, and your day. And I said, whatever birthday it is that month, you, you let us know what you want to do. You want to go have lunch? You want to go have dinner? You know, whatever you, know, whatever you want to do. And it, it got everybody to kind of get out of that work environment as well and get to know the, each other outside of work. So that's where I brought that, that fun element. We even had potlucks. We had Thanksgiving potlucks. And the culture started to change, right? And not only did it start changing, it was being noticed by, you know, everybody, hey, what, what's going on? What changed? And I said, and we started inviting other groups to our potlucks, and it got pretty big. So it, I, not only did I impact my team, but other teams that worked with my team started saying, hey, can we join? I said, absolutely, you can join. So before you knew it, you know, our Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving you know, or holiday lunch, or it, it went from my team to, 
at least three other teams, right? So we had a big conference room. Everybody brought, you know, their sides or dishes. And it was lovely to have food and build those relationships with those people. And then you just get to know them at a whole other level. And it was a fun environment. Oh, I love that answer. And Dr. Josh Armstrong on his episode talked about how important it is to create rituals, even in the workplace, especially in the workplace. And I think what Robert just modeled there was he created some specific rituals around birthdays. He created some specific rituals around meals. And and I think there's an opportunity there to, to look at the people on our team and see what will impact them and to create these rituals that speak to the team to bring them together. And that's when we can really harness everybody's diverse background. You know, we, I mentioned it earlier about how Robert Wilkinson, Robert and me all had different backgrounds. We came from three separate parts of the United States. And even we came from three very distinct types of family backgrounds. And, you know, our cultural influences were very different from one another's, but we became really, really great friends. We did pretty much everything together as we went outside of class. We, we went to activities together. We hung out, we played basketball, we worked out, we did all this stuff and we got to know each other really well. And that's why we could share these experiences about what worked from each other and then learn from it and benefit and use this gift of diversity that so often we're hesitant. We, we like to surround ourselves with like people, but that's very limiting and it doesn't allow us to grow. But when we can surround ourselves with people that aren't like us and we can see where they're coming from, we can really expand our horizons and our understanding of things. So I just really love that answer and the rituals you create with your workplace. Thank you. I remember when you, when we were selecting schools and different things like that of what we're going to do, you knew you wanted to go to the White House communication team, if I remember correctly. And you can correct me if I have this memory wrong in my mind, but you had originally, you had to do one duty before you could do that. And so you'd agreed to a different duty that was going to send you to San Diego so you could be closer to your family. But then you had to switch up your assignment to be eligible for the White House communications team, if I remember correctly. And I remember we went to San Diego for a secondary school, a C school, as they call it in the Navy, together. So Robert and I, were, we were very fortunate. We spent the first 13 or 14 months of the Navy together for the most part. And so we moved to San Diego together. We got to hang out even more. And I remember the turmoil of realizing that you were going to have to be further from your family for an extended period of time before taking this assignment. So I think about this in relation to our work. Sometimes we have to make sacrifices that pull us away from our team, but then allow us to appreciate our teams even more. And I wonder if this experience of accepting an assignment you didn't necessarily want for the assignment you did want, if it taught you anything and how you've incorporated that in your life. I believe that it absolutely did because in life, you know, and I believe I've learned this lesson before that, but in life, when nothing worthwhile, it comes easy, right? So you're always going to have obstacles and it's always important, the attitude on how you take it off, because I could have easily bummed out, gotten a really negative attitude, which could have jeopardized my opportunity to go work at the White House. And the way I saw it is I'm going to make the most out of this. I'm going to learn as much as I can, not only within the electronic technician function, but uh, make, make new relationships and, and help as best as I can while I'm there. And uh, so, so that's the approach I took going into the, the USS John C. Stennis. And that's exactly what I did. I, I built relationships. I played. I, I loaded my schedule. I took college courses. I presented. I 
every slot of time, I made the most of it. And the time went by quick because I think I took a, that type of approach. I got there before you, you know, it was, it was a quick, you know, yeah, it was a little over a year, but I got to do a cruise, right? I went out there, I worked on radars, I got some good pictures, I, I had some good memories with individuals on the ship. You know, when my orders came in for the White House, I was still on the ship or, in, you know, in the Gulf, and uh, I got to fly off a, a C-2. Uh, so I would have never been able to do that if if I if I didn't if said you know hey I don't want to do it anymore. So it's funny I, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on the story. I know it's probably just because I like telling the story. <laughs> so so they're like hey your orders came in you know the 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 commander talked to me about hey you know you're gonna fly out you know tomorrow and uh, you're gonna be on a C two so you know it, 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 when you when you get ready you start preparing you to go on the C two you you have double hearing protection you got the the earplugs that go in, you got the ones that go over, and then they, they tell you. And then they sit you backwards, right, from a normal, you know, commercial plane, and they tell you, it's going to feel, you're going to feel the G-force, and it's going to feel like the plane is dropping, but it's not. But I kid you not, Keith. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was in there, you know, it, it, they catapulted, you feel the G-force, and you're, you know, it's pushing you. I. You know, I think it did drop. I mean, I, I know they, they warned me, but I, I, I kid you not, I felt like it dropped a little bit before, you know, and it dropped and I'm like, oh God. And then it starts going up and I'm like, whew, my breath, I, you know, breath comes out. And I'm like, all right, we're good. <laughs> but but I would have never got to experience that, you know, if I if I would have said, you know what, for, if, if I would have taken a, a, a negative approach or a negative attitude and wasn't open to it, I would have never gotten the opportunity to, fly off a C2, right? I've never, and, and I would have never got the opportunity to work at the White House. And, and again, that, that opened up my eyes that sometimes things don't sound, you know, like they're going to benefit you, but at the end of the day, they, they do benefit you. If you go in there with an open mind, learn from it, and improve the area you're in, you can't go wrong. I love that answer. I love how you started it too. Nothing worthwhile comes easy and such a true statement and one that I think we need to remind ourselves quite often. And then I think it's interesting too. There's a, there's a life lesson in your story about the C2. Sometimes we have to drop a little before we can rise and that's, we just have to sometimes. And so even in those momentary drops, I think sometimes we have to look for the opportunity to rise as we're moving forward. And and that can help us get through those lulls and those drops in our situations and in our life. And it can also help us pay attention to the people around us. And when they're experiencing a drop, how we can, you know, lift them up, how we can be that catapult to them, like the aircraft carrier catapult was to you and your C2 to help them actually get the momentum they need to take off from that platform. So I think about that. How do you help the people around you recognize how to rise how do you be that catapult to, in their lives and in your team members? So the way to do it, Keith, like when I was, uh, I'm going back to my one-on-ones that I have with the team. First, the, the, the biggest thing is understanding the individuals on your teams or goals, right? What first, you know, and I always had different responses from, from folks on the team. I want to be the CEO. That's great. What's your plan? How are you going to get there? And they never, and they didn't have much. Well, I don't have a plan, Robert. Well, I said, with anything you want to do in life, you have to have a plan to get there. So 
I would help them set up a plan. And for giving that same example, for you know, I would ask them, do you know anybody that's a CEO? Do you know anybody that's in program management? And they would answer, well, no, I don't. Well, here, let, let me introduce you, you know, do you, you know, or I would ask them first, do you want me to introduce you to anybody that can, that's in that field that can help you, you know, set up a plan to help you get there? Because, you know, and that's the way I approach my team. It, whatever they want to do, if they don't, if they didn't hurt my feelings, if they didn't want to continue doing configuration management, I was there to help them grow. Whatever it was, whatever their goal was, I would help them set up the plan and I would treat them well because people are the most important ingredient in any company. And the way I saw it is if I treated them well, and let's say they go in, into another function, another field, and they didn't get treated as well, they were always welcome to come back to my team. And that's what, you know, that was the other part of it too. But the key things were, do you have a plan? Do you know how to get there? And I told them, I always instruct, you know, everybody I mentored, I had a, I had a couple rules with them. I said, if I, I'm going to mentor you, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you all the information I, I know I can, or find someone that can. But in turn, I said, if you get to those positions that you want to get to, you got to return the favor. That was my second rule. You gotta help other people get there because you know you gotta build it. You gotta build that environment because the moment you do that, everybody's helping each other out. And that was you know how I helped my team get there. What's your plan? Who are you talking to? And uh, learn as much as you can. And I told them, you know, and get more than just one mentor because if you have one PM here, one PM there, he or she may have taken different paths, different roads, different ingredients, and you can pick. Okay, this I could do this, I could do that, I could do this, and put it in your plan and then execute. And that was my formula that I would use with my team. I think that's a winning formula. I think there's a lot to be said about that formula. I love how you talked about asking them if they planned it out. Darren Lifford in his episode, the most recent episode, talked about how he had a manager at Caterpillar that made them map out what they'd need to do to become the CEO of the company. And and Darren said when he first started, he was like, this is ridiculous. I'm never going to be the CEO. But he said, what it did to me is it helped me see what different things there were inside Caterpillar and the different offices that I could work for. And it showed me there's all these other opportunities. And it showed me that I would need cross-functional experience if I was going to even be a manager someday. And so it, it kind of helped map out a different path for him because it exposed him to different things. And so I think there's value in creating that plan with a mentor because they can help you. And like you said, probably multiple mentors to see what ingredients are the best for your personal recipe. Cause that's what really matters, right? What we don't, we're not creating robots. We're creating the best versions of all the people around us. So what, what ingredients do they need for their recipe to be the best of the best of themselves? And I love how your formula, it just shows that perfectly. Well, I've just absolutely loved this conversation. I loved chatting with you. It feels like old times sitting in that old dungeon barracks room and uh i'd go back there in a heartbeat just loved playing rummy and just hanging out we're about done here anything you want to leave our guests with to close us out on this episode again you know one of the things i failed to mention that i think is very important as a leader is to stay humble and, and humble yourself i know that from a strategic leadership it's not ideal to go in, into the weeds but if you do it every now and then and and go and, and help I think it goes a long way with your team. And, and that's just my last thought, because I think that's extremely important to show humility as a leader, because it helps strengthen the relationship that you have with, with those that you lead. 
and that that's my last you know, thought. And Keith, I again, I you know, I, this is my my first time doing the podcast, and, and I had a lot of fun doing it. I appreciate you thinking of me. I, I thank you for the impact you've had in my life, and uh, I'm glad that I was to your point. If I could go back and, and do it over again, I would. I had a lot of fun during that time. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. And uh, well said, and a great way to wrap us up. And I'm so thankful that I could amplify your voice because you've been a great influence in my life as well. And thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for joining us. I'm so glad that we can share these voices with you. Please reach out to me. Let me know what you think. Any feedback is always appreciated and have a wonderful day.